Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. It has been a while and so I'm really grateful to be back and talking with you. I hope you have had a good couple of weeks while we haven't been producing these things. Um, I want to attempt to be faithful and continue on with the um, Turning Points of Church History series that we've been doing. And just a reminder, I want to give credit where credit is due. And so I'm taking these talks um, from a book by Mark Knoll called Turning Points. And I'm really just summarizing some of it. I'm uh, borrowing the parts that are really impactful to me. And I'm doing this because I, I do enjoy studying church history, but I forget lots of it. And so here is a way for me to do two things. Uh, I learn it better by having to study it and then share it with you. And then hopefully you um, are growing in kind of your big picture understanding of what's been happening in the church. And so The Turning Points is um, about the major events, the turning points in church history from when Jesus died up to the present time. And so the last couple of turning points, if memory serves me well, have had to do with the Reformation, first around the person of Martin Luther and kind of the theological uh, bombshell he was as he rediscovered the doctrine of justification by faith and um, through a series of events and a prolific writing life and a real determination to stand on the truth of the Word of God, he um, brought together a lot of um, impulses that were happening at that time and was the linchpin for the Reformation. And um, and then the next thing we talked about was really just the new Europe or the new world order and just how um, Europe as it... Um, dealt with the Reformation as well as other things was becoming instead of kind of like this this group of small little fiefdoms, if you like that word, under the Holy Roman Emperor, we had kind of the birth of the modern nation state where um, it wasn't just about major cities, it was about borders and national identities and patriotism and stuff like that. So that is the last two weeks or two times that we've talked about it. And today we're looking at kind of what was going on in the Catholic Church during this time. Um, It wasn't like nothing happened. And really what happened was there was this kind of uh, renewal in Catholicism, or sometimes it's called the Counter-Reformation. So, you know, the the Catholic Church was doing one thing, then the Reformation happened, and then there was a response. Um, Things are never quite that simple, are they? So really what was going on was that um, many, many people in the Catholic Church knew that there were problems that needed addressing in the Church, whether it was the popes who were kind of more warrior uh, popes that were concerned more about their personal glory than the health of the Church or different doctrinal stuff. And as the Reformation was happening and these Reformed churches were being birthed, um, many individuals had to decide whether or not they were going to continue to pursue um, kind of a renewal in the Catholic Church or whether they were going to branch off and join the Reformed Church. Um, And just as a little side note, the Reformers didn't think that their their heart wasn't to have a church split. They wanted to be faithful to the Word of God, and they, they saw themselves as renewing the church, not having a church split, but that's what happens sometimes when renewals happen, reformations happen. And so um, there was lots of energy in the Catholic Church that wanted to see renewal in the church. And so this kind of was unleashed in a, in a potent way 
in response to the the Reformation as well as probably just naturally. And two really important things happened during the Counter-Reformation or the renewal in the Catholic Church. Um, one was there was a an initiation of many new monastic orders. If you remember from our talk on monasticism, for about a thousand years, um, the monastic orders were kind of the backbone of the church. And during this time of the Counter-Reformations, many new orders started, usually looking to some kind of older, maybe the Benedictine model or the Augustinian model, and just wanting to see renewal. So there was a renewed um, interest in monasticism, a renewed commitment, people seeking um, to respond to the corruptions in the Catholic Church by that. And the most important order that was started um, was the Jesuits, or the Society of Jesus. And I, if my memory serves me right, it was Ignatius of Loyola, who was kind of the, the main person who started this. But there's this Jesuit movement, this Jesuit order. I don't think they were necessarily monks um, in the typical sense, because they're very active and very um, outgoing and really did among many things, their, their kind of their mission was to restabilize the Catholic Church in places that um, were working through the implications of the Reformation or maybe experiencing Reformation in them. They would go in there and try to settle things down, and I'm sure it was not always pretty. Life is life is very messy, and uh, everything's messy. And so um, I'm I, I don't know how deep to get into that. I'm sure it was a mess. And if you were there, you probably would think this is a mess. But that was a big part of the heart of the Jesuit order was they were going to bring renewal to the church as well as bring stability to the church um, during this time of Reformation. And another thing that happened was that um, this the main doctrinal event was the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent, where the Catholic Church wanted to respond to the teachings and um, the doctrines of the Reformation, and so they wanted to distinguish themselves um, again, over and against the criticisms of the Reformation. So the Reformation was saying, you know, you you preach uh, salvation by works, and the Pope, there's the elevation of the Pope is not biblical, and so the Council of Trent was there to kind of respond and answer the questions and solidify the Catholic response to the criticisms of the Reformation, which they did. And um, uh, and a few things came out of the Council of Trent. One was a, a centralized liturgy. Okay, so liturgy is the fancy word for how people worship. And so there was a, out of the Council of Trent came kind of an uh, impulse for a church-wide method of worship, prayer, how to do worship, how to do prayer, uh, theology. It was really intended to produce a, a way of doing church for the entire Catholic world. And so that came out of the Council of Trent, as well as kind of these doctrinal statements and the condemnation of the Reformation. So they didn't come away saying, oh, you know, the Reformation's mostly good, just misunderstood. They really did condemn the Reformation. And I think there's been some work um, within the last... 50, 100 years of reconciliation there. But, you know, for a long time it was, you know, if you're Reformed, you're outside of the church and you're not saved. And 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 there you go. And I'm sure many of the Reformers thought many of the Catholics weren't saved either, um, whether it was an accusation of Mariolatry or the worship of Mary or some other kind of idolatry. Um, there would be accusations going around there. And so, you know, this is life. Um, and 
it takes a lot of humility and wisdom to sift through uh, what's being said, sift through the truth, and but also to be clinging to the truth. Um, I come from definitely a Protestant background with a really great love for the Scripture and wanting to test things by Scripture and evaluate things by Scripture. And so from my take, as I read through this chapter, I came away thinking, you know, I really um, am impressed by the missionary zeal of these monastic movements, these these drives to return to the kind of monastic way of doing um, life with the Lord and the self-discipline and the commitment that comes along with it. But um, I, I do think that when the church is in need of renewal and when the church is in need of reformation, we're not supposed to look back to a monastic way of doing life for our uh, direction and renewal. We're supposed to go to scripture. And so for me, that that's kind of the, I was impressed, but at the same time kind of just thinking that's not quite on. And that's my bias, if you want to call it that, but uh, I think that's the Lord's bias too. And so that's why it's my bias. And so that's, that was kind of my impression of the chapter. But one of the things that also came out during this time is that the Jesuits had a, were major, 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 uh, m- had major missionary zeal and missionary implications. And so during the time of like the, the late 1500s, early 1600s, there was massive launchings of missionary enterprises throughout the world, including places like Japan and China and, and just going places that people had never really been before with different effects and different outcomes. But this was part of the um, Catholic Counter-Reformation or the Catholic renewal in that time was a solidification of what is, what are the beliefs of the Catholic Church, what are what is the true worship of the Catholic Church, and this birth of this very significant order, the Jesuits, that went into the world to stabilize the Catholic Church, to resist Reformation tendencies, as well as to spread the Catholic Church throughout the world in places where it hasn't happened before. So this is a major turning point in church history, this kind of combination of the founding of the Jesuits and the Council of Trent in response to the Reformation.